0: I'm your host, Dr. Michael Krichman, host of Sex Med on ReachMD. Joining me today is Amanda Parrish. She is a wife, mother, professional, patient, and advocate. Today's topic really is a very important issue that's often neglected in clinical practice. It's really, what is the patient's perspective? And when it comes to sex, many clinicians are embarrassed, afraid, They may have their own sexual hang-ups themselves, and they often neglect the topic and leave their patients really in the dark, struggling. Amanda, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today on Sex Med on ReachMD. I really appreciate you uh, having the courage to talk about this. It's not easy, and it's uh, sometimes challenging. Tell me a little bit about your history Uh, in terms of how did you know there was a sexual problem and what was the impact? How did it affect you? your newlywed. uh, Really, you know, give us some insight. Well, thank you,
1: Dr. Krishman, for having me. Um, I will say that um, the impact that my low desire had on my relationship was monumental. My current husband and I had been together about three years and everything was perfectly fine. Um, in the sexual arena, um, I often said that we were like teenagers in heat. Um, Both of us in our late 40s at the time, everything worked perfectly the way it should. And I began to notice at about year three that there was a shift um, where I had once been um, an equal participant, an active initiator, and um, really enjoyed our intimate times together Suddenly and without warning, those feelings were not there. Um, The disturbing thing to me was that I couldn't account for anything that had caused those changes. Um, Our relationship certainly hadn't changed. We had a very strong emotional connection, physical attraction. You know, our children were older. There was really nothing to attribute the loss of desire to, and yet it was there. Um, And probably the most impactful and disturbing part of that was, we weren't talking about it. Um, I'm from the South, and I think there's still a, a large stigma attached to women's sexual health issues, not only from the patients but from the, from the doctors as well. And so you have couples living silently um, and separately in shame, unaware of what's going on, and a big snowball starts rolling. Um, me not being as interested made me pull back some. Ben didn't understand what was going on, and then he starts to doubt his manhood and wonder if I'm having an affair or wonder if I'm not attracted to him. And I can sense that, and then he feels bad initiating. Um, So it just literally becomes a snowball that gets out of control. And before long, you're left wondering, you know, does this relationship even need to go on Um, because you're not able to find help anywhere.
0: And I mean, I think what, you know, the picture that you're painting for me as a clinician is this communication breakdown and really this conspiracy of silence. Uh, what's dramatic for me is how you tell the story of one day it's almost as if a switch was turned off. And I hear that very often in clinical practice. And I find it interesting that you mention all these things. You know, you examined your life. The kids were gone. I wasn't stressed. We were very attracted to each other. I was sleeping well. I'm in good health. He's sexy. We're in a new relationship. It's almost as if you're looking and you've been told that it's, you know, it's always something. Else. There's nothing going on biologically. It has to be something in your environment. It has to be the kids or the dog or the finances or stress. So it's interesting to me how you're telling the story of uh, sexual problems from a female perspective of how you've been taught that it's always about the environment. It could never be a biological component. And it was confusing because here you are in a new, wonderful relationship with a supportive, uh, sexy partner who turns you on, but you feel empty. You feel uh, really a loss and and it's really not understandable. So again, I think the important message is that many women who actually make it into a clinician's office. Many of them do not, right? So many women are suffering in silence and really trying to examine and do a variety of things. Um, Many women really think that it's external forces, and they've been told that, you know, you have to be the bringer of sexual excitement. You have to dress better. You have to be sexier. You have to be doing more wonderful, exciting things. But it's not in the forefront of their mind that it could be a biological problem when on the flip side men you know are taught if you have an erection problem check your blood pressure check your diabetes so again a big double standard i want to ask you what did you do what did you do how did you try to change things because i know you didn't just jump right in and go to the doctor what did you try to do
1: oh you're exactly right um it's the world will tell women from the time they're able to understand that sex is in our head, and that um, you know it's our obligation to just perform or to, to your point, dress sexier or take a nice hot bath. Um, you know, I've certainly been told a host of things, from drink a ball of wine or eat a bar of chocolate or watch a episode of Grey's Anatomy, anything to get yourself in the right state of mind. Um, And I think that's where the disconnect is. Um, The world and physicians seem to think it's in a woman's head that she must be depressed or she must be angry at her husband. And certainly throughout my life, there have been times when my sex drive has waxed and waned, Um, you know, when I was pregnant or when my father was ill or I had four children sleeping in the bed. There's plenty of times when lack of desire is in your head. But in my case, when that light switch turned off, there truly was nothing in my head so, um, yes, I tried, you know, getting things over the counter. Once I figured out, you know, that there was something not right, um, I still didn't want to open up and talk about it because there's a fair amount of shame involved and there's also um, Ben's pride that I wanted to protect. It's a, not an easy conversation to say to your partner and the man you love, you know, I love you um, and I'm attracted to you, but I don't really want to have sex. So you begin retreating and making excuses or trying to pretend to be asleep before he comes to bed, and it just continues to get worse. So um, I did on my own try some over-the-counter, you know, voodoo medicine that you could order over the Internet that promised you sex drive and energy and all of that stuff. And, um, you know, I tried some off-label prescriptions for men and, um, But it wasn't really until, you know, I learned more about what HSDD was that I really figured out that I did have a biological problem. And there finally, you know, was a doctor that was able to talk to me about it. And I wanted to shout it from the rooftop. So other women out there, because throughout my experience with low desire, I've met so many people and talked to so many people who are struggling like Ben and I were, many of which their marriages have ended in divorce, or one of them will say to me, I think my ex-wife suffered from that, and it always just makes me so sad because I feel like if this were a man's problem, um, the world would have rushed to fix it a long time ago uh, because it's a woman's problem. As you say, we're expected to be keep the home fires burning, and um, the man's been at work all day long. It's up to us to ignite those fires when he gets home. And there's some times when you just physically cannot make yourself.
0: And, you know, Amanda, it's really interesting. I collect old uh, medical books, and I was reviewing them uh, recently. And in the field of sexual function, uh, it's quite clear that, you know what, the treatments, the top three treatments for female sexual problems, well, the first issue is we call them, we used to call women frigid, right? So the top three things that clinicians were supposed to prescribe were, one, a glass of wine, two, a shopping spree to go buy a, a new nightgown or a new uh, evening attire, you know, and three is a warm bath. So, you know, I think we certainly have come very far, but we still have a long, long way to go in terms of sexual equality, in terms of understanding the balance of sexual medicine and sexual psychology. If you're just tuning in right now, you're listening to Sex Med on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Critchman. I'm here with uh, Amanda Parrish. Amanda is a wife, mother. She's a professional and also has been a sexual medicine patient. She's an advocate for women's equal sexual rights, uh, very vocal on the topic about uh, the discrepancy between how men and women are being treated in terms of evaluation, assessment, Uh, and even therapeutics that are are available. Amanda, I wanted to switch gears a little bit and talk about some of the perspectives in terms of as the patient walks into the clinician's office, what advice as a patient can you give to a healthcare professional to help make that 10- or 15-minute interview much more productive, both for the clinician and for the patient? Really, what are some take-home points from a patient's perspective?
1: Um, I think the first um, point I would make is, or my plead for physicians would be, to really genuinely listen to your patients, what they're saying. Alongside of that is women need to be very proactive themselves about bringing up the subject. Quite honestly, I've had my doctor around the issue, um, if you bring up sex, you know, usually I get the standard, everything okay in the bedroom. Um, but I've always gotten the feeling what he means is, is there, do you have any dryness? You know, are you having any pain? And if you say no, he's ready to move on. But I've had, you know, physicians blush when I started talking about it. Um, and that, to me and to women, that's very dismissive and it's very um, offensive because what it basically says is this is not important to me. So um, I think women need to be very empowered to go in and bring up the subject. And I, I think clinicians need to understand that if she's bringing it up, it's a real issue to her. And even if there are no medical treatments that you could offer or if you have your own bias about it, hear her out and give her a comfortable space to say what she's saying. Certainly go through the process and evaluate, you know, and make sure and rule out that there's no emotional problems going on or anything else, but help her understand that she's not crazy, um, that this is not all in her head, and most of all just be genuinely patient and empathetic with her. And that, I think, will open a platform from which women and physicians can talk together and figure out a solution. Trust me, if it were as easy as a glass of wine or a bar of chocolate you know, my life would have been taken care of a long time ago. And I tried everything, you know, quite honestly, Ben could have taken me to Tahiti and given me a carte blanche blank credit card. That would not have made me want to have sex.
0: Right. And, you know, I think, you know, it brings back a memory to me, which was really uh, quite distressing as a sexual medicine clinician, and, as a sex uh, counselor and therapist, I was had the fortune to go to the FDA to hear about uh, a medication that was um, being evaluated for approval. It subsequently did get approved. But what struck me as exceptionally pejorative and demeaning and frustrating, was that uh, someone came up to the mic and started talking about low libido and how it can be cured with a good shower head or a uh, good episode of uh, Seinfeld. Um, and I think it's frustrating to hear uh, these comments and recognize that the human body is really intricate, and certainly there are women that have sexual, psychological, Issues. There are dysfunctional relationships, certainly. There are relationships that are impacted by stress and fatigue and lack of technique. But we should recognize that, you know, the body does function on veins, arteries, nerves, hormones, and it certainly is impacted. By underlying anatomy, neurophysiology, and what have you. So, I do think it's really critical to recognize some important take home points, Amanda. I think that you brought is about communication, about listening, about not being dismissive. Very often, uh, clinicians feel that if they can't do something, they don't want to talk about it. So, you know, it's this disconnect. Uh, if the patient doesn't bring it up, then it's not an issue. And the patient says, well, my healthcare provider didn't really talk about it, so it must not be of paramount concern. So again, we're seeing a conspiracy of silence between husband and wife or partner or what have you, and then another facet is where the the patient and clinician are not communicating effectively. I think that's really, really uh, vital to understand. Amanda, any last-minute questions uh, closing thoughts before we run out of time in terms of some really just some take-home points or what have you?
1: Um, I wanted to go back to what you said earlier about women being la- labeled um, frigid because that's exactly how I felt and anyone who knows me knows that I'm about as warm a person as there can possibly be and the thought that I was somehow being frigid or being perceived as frigid was very disheartening and um, there's a sense of isolation and loneliness and I don't know, self-esteem that goes along with that. And I had always been successful at everything I did. So I, I definitely wish that the stigma could be lifted. And as you say, the communication being open between doctor and patient and patient and partner, because I can tell you that once, it's sort of like a parent who has a child that's ill. Um, the three words that I never wanted to hear from my doctor were, it's a virus because that meant we can't give you any medicine, we can't do anything for it, just play it out. And it's a little bit like this. Once I found out that there was a physical, biological condition I had, it served as a platform for me to go home and open that conversation with my husband. So he was not feeling like he was the bad cat or that he was missing something, but that I actually had a treatable medical condition. And that makes the whole difference for women. If they feel validated and feel like they have a diagnosis, then they can open up that conversation. And it's been such a relief and such a relationship saver for us.
0: Thanks, Amanda. That was really uh, very, very important in terms of communication styles and including the concept of the patient's perspective of how to address female sexual health and wellness, as well as not minimize the issue. We've been talking with Amanda Parrish, who's a wife, mother, patient, and advocate for female sexual health. Be sure to visit our website at reachmd.com slash sexualmedicine to download this segment and others in this series. Remember, sexual health is general health. I'm Dr. Michael Critchman, your host, and you've been listening to Sex Med on ReachMD. Thank you again for listening.